everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. And today, I'm so pleased to have as my guest, um, Deputy Attorney General Pete Murray back in the podcast studio. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great, John. Great to see you. Uh, great to speak with you again. Sure would like to see you in person, but that time will come. <laughs> Coming soon, hopefully. I see that cases are in decline. We're maybe turning the corner on the COVID crisis. So, yeah, looking forward to having you back at, in my home studio. That'll be great. Yeah, really well. Really well. So uh, I really appreciate it. you reached out to me and, and really wanted to talk a little bit about this Trump impeachment trial. And this is a fascinating topic. I thought this would be a great conversation to have, maybe educate our audience. And, you know, we're taking questions on the live stream on Facebook and YouTube. So sure. we'd be happy to, you know, maybe learn some things from you, Pete. I mean, I have, I have some questions about it, but um, yeah, I would love to, to find out more and get your thoughts on this, on the process that we're going to be going through here real soon. Sure. Sure. I, uh, so I'll tell you how I, I reached out to you or why I reached out to you. I have a, uh, oh, really a lifelong friend. He's actually uh, was, you know, neighbors with my wife's parents way, way back when in Virginia. So he's an older gentleman now, long since retired. Um, interesting. He is a scientist and physicist who worked for the CIA in their research labs all his career. So he's a brilliant uh, individual. And now in his retirement, uh, something you might find interesting, he writes a column called The Sports Curmudgeon. Oh, nice. He's, he's very interested in sports, uh, all sports, uh, baseball and uh, football, probably football a little bit more, but uh, those, those are his big focus. Anyway, uh, he reaches out to me because he's just this kind of guy. Uh, every once in a while and, and may ask me a question uh, that he wants to get my input on. In fact, uh, a few years back, he decided he wanted to write what we call an amicus brief to the to the United States Supreme Court on his own and wanted to know if he could do that. I said, well, yeah, I've never heard any private citizen doing that, but there's no reason why you can't. It's just the kind of guy he is. He's just he's has so many interests and so forth. Um, and so I've been practicing law for 30 years. Here's a disclaimer about everything we're about to talk about, which is uh, maybe the official disclaimer is I am a deputy attorney general, but nothing I'm talking about today is uh, can, should be construed as a position of the attorney general's office. Mm -hmm. I cannot speak for uh, the attorney general himself, Xavier Becerra, at least as of today. Uh, he's on his way to the Department of Health and Human Services, apparently, uh, before too long. Uh, so I cannot and do not speak for the office. It's just Pete Murray's personal opinions and thoughts on these issues. Um, and the second is I'm not I do not hold myself out as a constitutional scholar. There are many people far more brilliant than I, including some of my constitutional law professors in years gone by. But hopefully over 30 years, I've figured out some stuff in the law. And I found this whole Trump impeachment thing to be interesting, kind of spurred by this gentleman's email to me. He wanted to know a very specific question, which is, will the uh, chief justice of the uh, U.S. Supreme Court preside in this Trump impeachment, being that it is not actually a sitting president? And that led us to a discussion about the process a bit and uh 
and because I like, you know, going out mostly in the high schools and so forth and talking about constitutional law and history and issues, I thought, let me reach out to John and see if we can kick it around a little bit. And so that was really the impetus for this. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you did. And thank you for doing so. Um, because, you know, the the House impeached Trump, what, a few weeks ago, and I yes. know they're getting organized for the trial with the Senate, but there's just been, you know, so much. It seems like the impeachment trial has been moved to the back burner, at least in the news cycle, while we've been dealing with COVID and the inauguration and everything else. But it's going to come front burner here pretty quick, isn't it? Yeah, next week. Uh, the... Uh, Trump team, uh, which seems to be changing by the minute, uh, but they have at least two primary lawyers as of yesterday who are uh, filing papers. They're essentially their response to the uh, to the impeachment papers. And that's due Monday. And the case is scheduled to kick off Tuesday. Wow. And yeah, even the timing of it uh, almost begs the the questions that we'll get into. And and, we'll we'll talk about that uh, shortly. Um, But what one of the words you said is uh, the trial and it is an impeachment trial. Uh, It is not a trial in the way that most of us think of trials, sitting in a courtroom with jurors and all that kind of thing. It's very much more a political process. And um, and that's is what it is by its nature. And I think that that you will see will become kind of a common theme here as we try to understand how and why things are happening here. But to to your point, um, I think it was purposeful that they tried to, if not put it on the back burner, to push it off a little bit so as to allow uh, President Biden now to pursue some of these initial policy positions, uh, executive orders, et cetera, they, um, and to start to get some of these appointments through the Senate, um, which they've actually done quite a few. Um, interesting, uh, Mr. Becerra, Xavier Becerra, who's up for Department of Health and Human Services, that most would argue is critical since he is a... Uh, you know, going to be essentially the point person in the COVID uh, relief situation, the health crisis, um, to get him in place. And uh, it's it's indicated he will get some significant pushback in the confirmation proceeding. But nonetheless, uh, they haven't even calendared his uh, his hearings yet. So um, whereas that, you know, they've seemed to have a, a Certainly, the, the say the foreign policy structure in place, the Secretary of State, uh, et cetera, ambassadors uh, are going in. Um, so, you know, it, it was clear they wanted to get that done, and it really begs the question of: so, do they just get to choose when to do it? And the short answer is yes, they do. And um, and we'll we'll pick up on that a little bit more here in a second. So explain to me briefly how the impeachment trial might be different than a traditional trial. I mean, besides the fact that it's political, I mean, the the chief justice presides. Isn't that how this works? No, no. Okay. Okay. And not this time. 
And the reason is, I, I, you know, we, we always turn to whatever controlling documents we have, right? And the U.S. Mm-hmm. Constitution speaks of impeachment. Um, and it says, uh, amongst many other things, both in Article 1 and in Article 3, Article um as to the process for impeachment is in in the case of the impeachment of a sitting president, mm-hmm. the Supre- the chief justice of the C- Supreme Court shall preside. No choice. He will be there, which is why you saw him sitting there uh, in the first uh, Trump impeachment. And you saw the chief justice sitting there in the Clinton impeachment uh, here. This is not the impeachment of a sitting president. And therefore, one would expect, in fact, the Constitution says that in every other case of impeachment, the presiding uh, person shall be the vice president of the United States, who is the president pro tem of the Senate. Sort of makes sense. Now, think of the political view of that. The impeachment of Trump with Kamala Harris as vice president sitting as the presiding officer, um, that would probably not have looked pretty. So my guess, and this is a guess only, is they probably sought uh, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, asked him if he would still do it, even though it's technically not the impeachment of a sitting president. And my guess is he's politely declined and said, thanks, but no thanks. Smart. Man. And well, I, I, he really is because um, and again, I think we'll touch on this, but I think some would argue that maybe the Democrats were trying to do this on purpose, which is to set up a situation where a chief just of the Supreme Court was sitting in the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. And if he got acquitted, it would raise the hue and cry of a large portion of the electorate, uh, roughly 50 percent who voted for Biden or slightly more versus the slightly less that voted for Trump and raise the hue and cry to say, that's it. We need to do something about the Supreme Court. And that is something that most of us in the law are deathly concerned about. And I know, having read and heard him, Chief Justice Roberts is very concerned about maintaining the independence and the viability of the Supreme Court. And if, which we've heard about in running up in the election and is the potential to pack this Supreme Court, uh, which could be done by the Senate. They could simply add Supreme Court justice positions and then appoint people. And when that happens, uh, many would argue, and I would agree with this, that would be the demise of the Supreme Court as we know it. It would become nothing more than a political uh, structure that is weighted by whichever political party happens to be in power at the time. And my guess is uh, Roberts is, I know he's acutely aware of that, and he very desperately wants to avoid that happening. And so at the, once Trump was, was no longer the sitting president, I'm sure he just went, hands off, I'm having nothing to do with this. Uh, and it will beg the issue, and it may even hint at the issue of what might happen should anything in this trial end up in the courts, namely in the Supreme Court. But um, 
we'll we'll kind of maybe get to that. Well, we should get to that as we talk about this. But, you know, so the whole process is, is looked at. So what what governs the impeachment of a president? And the first thing that should jump out at anyone is the Constitution only speaks of the impeachment of a sitting president or other c- civil officer. And it does say that impeachments are, you know, the sole power of the impeachment power, uh, impeachment trial is with the Senate. And therein lies really uh, this political notion. This is a political process dictated and decided by the United States Senate. And I'll give you one seemingly small detail, but it it, it kind of begs the question, which is or, or shows the issue, which is when the House returns an article of impeachment, they've impeached President Trump kind of almost like a probable cause hearing, as we call it in the criminal law. When they actually transmit that impeachment document to the Senate by their rules, and this is in the Senate manual, they must commence the trial within 24 hours. Mm. Well, they transmitted that two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So why didn't they commence it within 24 hours? And the answer is because they decided not to, because they make the rules. <laughs> right. And it really is as simple as that. And you say, well, why is because the Democrat that's that hold technically the majority or at least majority control of the Senate simply said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to hold off. And I think both Trump's people uh, as well as the Republicans didn't balk at that because the Trump's people wanted time to prepare. And the Republicans, I'm sure, were hopeful that something different could happen. Um, but it certainly shows the issue that. This is uniquely a process controlled by the United States Senate. And if they change the rules, they change the rules. And that is actually something we'll talk about, I hope, in a little bit that has been touched on by by the courts that have tried to address these issues in some other cases in 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 history. And um, it's. It is at this point, I guess, well accepted that the impeachment of an officer, um, specifically an impeachment, is controlled by the Senate and they make the rules. And if they have it in their rules manual, which these many of these are, they can simply change them, vote to change them. And so they do. Interesting. So. So how do they manage that process? Because the Senate right now is 50-50, Republican, Democrat. So who makes the choices? Is it something where McConnell and Schumer come together and work it out? Or does uh, Vice President Harris you know, make the decisions? How, how does that work? Well, if, if they end up in a divided position on a piece of legislation that's now up or, or a vote by the Senate, including, uh, you know, whether to convict or not in an impeachment trial, if they end up 50 50, uh, the vice president of the United States is, in fact, the Senate pro tem or president of the of, of the Senate. And their really only role is to sit in a ceremonial position. Uh, 
except in the case where there is a divided vote, literally 50-50, then they get, a, a dis- they get to have the deciding vote. And that's why they've said that the Senate, although it is 50-50 as we sit here today, uh, is still Democratic controlled because when push comes to shove, Vice President Harris will be the deciding vote if, if it comes to that. Right. So, uh, yeah, what what I I don't know specifically what happened here. My sense is that there were discussions between Schumer and McConnell and uh, and they agreed. Yeah, we will put it off. And I assume there had to be some vote by the Senate to amend the rule, which was done really kind of behind the scenes because nobody was really balking at it. But uh, but the the rule. Yeah. As I say, it seemed to be in both of their best interests, both sides. You know, like you said, the Democrats wanted Biden to have some space to enact his agenda. And I think the Republicans wanted to give the Trump team time to prepare their case. Right. Yes. And, uh, you know, in that kind of sense of fairness uh, kind of thing, um, which they're trying to do, uh, you know, it made sense. So I don't think my guess is there was not very you didn't really hear much discussion about that. But there that rule, you can find it today in the Senate Rules Manual that says specifically within 24 hours of transmission of the article of impeachment, a trial shall commence in the United States Senate. Hmm. And it's and it didn't. So they <laughs> they just must have agreed behind. Yeah, we're, we're fine. We'll put it off. No big deal. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, I think you'll see that process play out and maybe the overriding theme of whatever we discussed today is this is in fact a political process and that's not meant to demean it. It's, it, it's meant to describe it accurately, which is the impeachment of the president is a political process. It is not a criminal trial or even a civil trial for that matter. Um, And so all of the usual due process rights that we think about uh, do not necessarily apply. They only apply if the Senate says they apply (laughs) because it's their game. But they have the, yeah, they have the ultimate right to, uh, you know, decide their own rules. And so they have. There are two cases that are, you know, worth kind of thinking about is if someone were to really be concerned about this stuff. And the first was, um, oh, a secretary of war, Belknap was his name. And it shows you how little this has been dealt with in our courts. Um, or, or even come up as an issue. But Secretary of War Belknap during the uh, Ulysses S. Grant administration mm. was uh, being sought for impeachment for lots of good reasons. He was, he was an absolute crook. He was corrupt. He was getting payments. He had finagled such that uh, it was stuff like um, his... Uh, he was con- he had the, the uh, commissaries at army bases you know, contracted with groups that, you know, with an entity that actually paid directly into his own pocket. I mean, so it was really pretty clear grounds for removal, if you will. 
And he was uh, so the Congress moved to the, you know, the House moved to impeach him uh, and he ran. So the story goes, literally ran to the office of the president uh, and got on his knees and cried to Ulysses S. Grant submitting his resignation papers to resign from his role in the cabinet as the U.S. Secretary of War is what it was called at that time. Um, which Grant accepted. That happened two hours before the U.S. House voted to impeach. And nonetheless, they went forward. Now, one would say, because this begs very much an issue here with Trump, he's no longer a sitting secretary of war. He's not a sitting civil officer is what is used in the Constitution. And so how do you impeach somebody who's no longer in office? And the House went ahead anyhow and impeached him. And he had a trial in the U.S. Senate. And even though a majority voted to convict, the Senate requires a two-thirds majority for a conviction. Mm -hmm. And they fell short of that. So he was acquitted uh, in the Senate. Um And that was the end of it. Unfortunately, no one ever brought it up with the courts. So we never got to really wrestle with this idea of is that even allowable to impeach someone who's no longer a sitting civil officer in the in the federal government? Um, But it, it, it does at least tell us that this has been dealt with before. A somewhat more interesting and certainly more current case was a Alcee Hastings was a federal judge. The name may sound familiar because he went on, believe it or not, based on what you when you hear this story, most people wouldn't know it. He went on to become a congressman in the U.S. House uh, for the D uh, for the District of Columbia um, or, or just outside. I forget. Maybe Maryland uh, was his uh, his district. I, I don't remember exactly. But at the time he was impeached. As a federal judge, because federal judges are federal officers um, and they can be impeached by the Congress. And he was impeached in what was arguably a horrific uh, case against him. Um, Interestingly enough, he actually was tried or charged with criminal charges that were the exact same things he was being impeached for. And before he was ever impeached, it went to trial and he was acquitted. But nonetheless, the House went forward and impeached him anyhow um, to get him basically to remove him from office. And uh, they went into the Senate for a trial. And at the Senate trial, uh, before they could actually com- they brought a case to the uh, to the courts that ulti- ultimately ended up in the U.S. Supreme Court. And there was another kind of corollary case, and it's really the holding which they relied on, and that's the Nixon versus United States. Nixon is, was not the president. This was before his time, uh, but it was a Judge Nixon. And the holding, which is what they relied on in at that time, then Judge Alcee Hastings' case, um, when he asked to have this thrown out in that um, they 
um, should not be able to impeach him. And, and the, the problem with it was, by his standard, they had procedurally not followed any of the kind of due process things that uh, one would expect he would get. Uh, the Senate, in fact, voted uh, in a committee, 12 to 12 to whatever to, to convict him. And the rest of the Senate just on a roll call, uh, not on a roll call, on a, a unanimous consent agreed. And he'd said, no, the, the Constitution provides it must be a, you know, a, a, a conviction by the Senate uh, in its entirety. And the point of the story is, even though the Supreme Court came out and said they felt for um and it wasn't actually the Supreme Court. It was pushed down to a lower court. But the end up ruling was uh, even though they agreed his, you know, procedural rights, the equity of it was horrific. He had been grossly mistreated in the way they handled it. But the court's point was, but an impeachment is uniquely political process of which we have no authority to weigh in on. And that is something we may hear again in the Trump situation, because I can imagine that at points, even before they vote conviction acquittal, that they will try to get to the courts on arguments as to the constitutionality of it, uh, et cetera. And the point I brought out before, Chief Justice John Roberts declining to preside over this might be a hint of how the Supreme Court will look at it, which is not our gig. We have no jurisdiction. We're not weighing in. That's your process. Um, and that's where it will end. And and I could see them doing that. Most people would say, oh, 6-3 majority at the Supreme Court. You know, they probably support Trump. What is much more important to them, in particular, Chief Justice Roberts, is the protection of the court. And if they can keep themselves out of this, they will. And, and I suspect that's what will happen is, you know, whenever these arguments are made and they try to bring it to the courts, they're going to get told, we don't have jurisdiction to rule on this. This is a uniquely political process. Uh, the, the phrase that was used in the Judge Hastings case that you'll probably hear again is uh, the courts rule. This is a non-judiciable uh, issue. In other words, it is not ripe for judicial decision and we have no ability to weigh in. So this is essentially something that the legislative branch and the executive branch is sort of built in. They police themselves outside of the normal legal process. Yes. Right? And, 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 you know, I, I guess the initial reaction, like my friend who wrote to me said, well, gee, that sounds pretty skosh. Uh, maybe the way to think about it is recognize that, uh, Donald Trump's ha has no risk of civil liability, no risk of criminal liability from this proceeding. I'm not saying he doesn't have risk of liability by any number of other places, but not during this proceeding. The only thing they can do, the only thing the Senate could do if they convict him is to remove him from office. Well, that's already happened. And then, which is arguably the only reason they're doing it. And then they can take a separate vote to bar him from ever holding federal office again. Right. And that's clearly what they want to do. 
And that, that does definitely seems to be the motivation of a lot of the Democrats is to because he's been hinting he may run again in 24. Sure. So, but, you know, we got one of the questions here on the live stream from Pete Neal. And he said, the senators, you know, will they be listening and deciding on our behalf or is it on their own within the directions of their party? So I guess the senators are effectively the jury here, right? That's correct. The entire Senate, all 100 senators. Um, interestingly enough, because Chief Justice Roberts, I assume, declined. They, all I've ever read is he will not be presiding. I'm, I have no doubt they asked and he said, no, thank you. I will not be there. I'm not required to be there. And I'm not bringing the Supreme Court into this. So they've got um, who is it? Senator Patrick Leahy is the presiding Mm -hmm. officer, even though as a sitting senator. So he will be kind of the so-called judge on procedural issues who also gets a vote. He'll be one of the 100 to vote. But to answer uh, Peter Neal's question, um, let's hope that they do what they're constitutionally obligated to do, which is to represent their their constituents. They are representatives of, in the Senate's case, of their particular state. And uh, hopefully they act as representatives uh, of the people of the state and not just along party lines. Um, you know, they cannot and should not be t- be taking direction from their party, but... Let's all be honest. Uh, it won't shock anybody to see most of this vote go down along party lines. And some would say I was elected as a senator uh, by my state and I am a Democrat and the majority voted for me. So they want me to be ruling that way. And uh, so it may be a little bit of a distinction without a difference. But I think the short answer is the senators will be each independently voting based on the their constituency, their particular state that they represent. Um, uh, so we'll see what happens. It, it really begs the issue of, and now I'll offer my unsolicited input, <laughs> which is why in God's name they're doing this is beyond me. I, I get it. You, you don't like Trump. You, you know, I'm no fan of him, and I'll say that publicly. But there's a part of me that just wants to go, look, what was the last t- thing you heard from Donald Trump? Uh, he's in Florida somewhere. And no one hears from him. So if you're a Democrat, why in God's name do you want to bring him or his name back before the entire country all over again? Mm-hmm. You know, who was it? P.T. Barnum or one of them who said all publicity is good publicity. And uh, and I just I think they're really biting off something that I I don't understand why I really don't because now you see that uh, and it may be telling there was a motion brought uh, by one of the senators I don't know if it was Cruz or whatever to dismiss the indictment the impeachment papers uh, on constitutional grounds and there were a significant amount of it didn't pass, but there were a significant amount of Republican senators who voted in agreement with that motion. Um, that may hint that those senators may well be counted on to vote for acquittal 
because they feel that it was an unconstitutional process, that we should not be trying a, a, a no longer sitting president. And they can hide behind that, whether it's those that just support Trump or those that say, look, I don't support him, but I, I don't think this was proper. But by any measure, I think their chances of getting a conviction in the Senate are very because they need two thirds majority. They need 66 senators. And I don't think they're going to get it. Yeah, there's no way. Well, and if they don't, what do you think Trump's going to do then? Yeah, he'll be prancing like a peacock and and then he gets more sympathy, kind of the way that Hillary Clinton got sympathy when she was testifying on the Benghazi deal. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it kind of makes them sort of a, a martyr or a victim in a way. It does. It, it begs into the. You know, it begs into this this whole notion of bringing him back, allowing him to still have a voice. Um, interestingly enough, I read yesterday he definitively declined. The, the, the Senate wants him to testify and he said, no, thanks. They can't they have no subpoena power, so they cannot subpoena persons to testify. And so they can ask him to testify and he can decline and they can try him. Uh, as we call it in the criminal courts, in absentia, without even being there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know if I'm a Democrat. Uh, I don't know why I think this is in our interest. It's distracting. It's taking away from whatever your now Democratic president is trying to do. Um, it's going to take time. And if anything, you'll garner sympathy from Trump's followers and perhaps, you know, hardcore followers and perhaps more. And I, I just don't understand why they think this is a good idea. I just don't accept this. No, she must be held accountable. Well, yeah, until he's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they're going to lose. The Democrats are not going to convict Trump. I mean, unless some something crazy happens. I mean, I would imagine right. there's going to be a handful of Republicans that will vote to convict. Sure. Know, maybe someone like Ben Sass from Nebraska might yeah. be one of those guys. Mitt Romney. Um, Mitt Romney. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We could probably name five or six of them. Sure. But they're not going to come up with 17. No, I don't. Uh, that's not going to happen. So, no. yeah. So it makes you wonder, like, if they if they come out of this process, well, it's like the, the first impeachment, you know, when Trump survived it. And he just kind of went, ha ha, you guys can't get me. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's sort of the same thing again. Yeah. And I, I suspect he'll they'll come out and say, see, you did it again. Uh, you're just you know, you're, this is this witch hunt, as he likes to call it. Right. All over again. And and here we go. And I, I just I, I don't see the end game here that makes any sense to me. Someone, uh, you know, suggested this to me. Uh, that I, I I could say, wow, maybe that is very calculating, which was what I mentioned before, is if they bring him there and they uh, even if he gets acquitted, but it's before, you know, the Supreme Court justice sitting there and uh, they, you know, or if they prevail in motions, they go up to the Supreme Court. Uh, to get him acquitted, then you've got maybe some ammunition in the Democratic side to say, see, this court is so slanted. We must do something there. And there is 
quite a, a, a movement afoot. People are very concerned. It's a 6-3 majority, uh, you know, a conservative majority that isn't going to go away anytime soon. And that's a problem if you're on the left or more progressive side and you got, and you must be thinking, what do we do about that? And, you know, packing the court is a way you could resolve that, but to do so, uh, people, most constitutional law scholars that I've dealt with, including my very liberal uh, constitutional law professor back at Duke, uh, Wally Dellinger, I'm sure he would agree too. We, that is, this is not a good resolution to start packing the court. We will destroy the court as we know it. Um, and um, I think that's why I think it's so important to watch that Roberts uh, declined to involve himself in this. And I do suspect that. Um, they, I suspect the, the Republicans will both argue it on a constitutional grounds. And at some point, it's going to at least bring a legal action in the courts uh, that is bound to end up to the Supreme Court eventually. And, and um, unless the lower courts just follow the, this ruling in uh, the U.S. For, versus Nixon case and say this is uh, a non-justiciable issue that we cannot weigh in on. And word. No, yes, yes. Uh, it's um, and and I can see them doing it, even if, you know, let's say because it would be first brought before a district, a federal district a judge uh, who could even be a Trump. He's appointed so many federal judges. It could be a Trump appointee. But at the end of the day, the courts are concerned about their viability and their independence. Yeah. And they don't want to if they can avoid that fight. I think they will. Well, already some of the, you know, Trump nominated Supreme Court justices have ruled on cases that have gone against Trump's way. Right. Sure. So they do want to be independent. I, I believe that they're not going to want to make this a partisan issue. But, you know, Pete Neal raised another question here in the live stream. Sure. Do, do they only need 51 votes? Can a simple majority sim- prevent him from running again? without being actually impeached? Is that possible? Well, it's an interesting question because you do without him being impeached. The, 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 the impeachment process, the only result of an impeachment process is the trial. And if, if convicted, then the Senate's authority is to remove him from office. We've already said that, and that's moot. And then... It, and it's it, it's written this way. And then to also take a separate vote to uh, preclude that person from ever holding federal office again. So that seems to suggest, well, he'd have to get convicted first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that will take a 66, a two thirds majority of the Senate for that to happen. However, we think, well, then so you'll never get to the question if they don't convict, they never get to the question of permanent removal from office. Um, But since this is ultimately a Senate rules issue, can the Senate simply take a vote, even in the face of acquittal, to. And it would be a simple majority. The answer to Peter's question is that second question need only be a simple majority. Uh, So could they simply take that second question and on a simple majority vote to preclude President or Donald Trump from ever holding federal office again? 
Uh, that is yet to be decided. And I could see if they try to do that, um, a, a lawsuit in the federal courts yeah. about does the Senate have the authority? See, now you'd say, well, this is now outside the impeachment. The minute he's acquitted, again, we're assuming that's what would happen. Then the impeachment trial is over. So can they take this separate now? What would be a separate action to preclude him from holding office? They seem to have the authority to do that. And where that's really getting some uh, noise now is in the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, uh, one of the you know post-Civil War uh, Reconstruction Amendments. Uh, and the 14th Amendment, we all think about it so critical because what it really did uh, that we deal with every day is it applied federal uh, due process protections, right to jury trial, right mm -hmm. against self-incrimination. It applied them to the states. In case it wasn't clear before, the 14th Amendment made it so. And so that's why, you know, something like a, um, you know, a, a the right of self-incrimination. I have the right to remain silent and so forth in a criminal case applies in California courts because uh, it's been, it, even though it's a U.S. constitutional issue, 14th Amendment says so, says it applies to the states. And so what, but section, I think it's section three of the 14th Amendment, um, it, two talks about how the apportionment of representatives uh, will be throughout the states. Section three talks about the removal of persons and the preclusion of persons from holding federal office. And what that says is, and it doesn't have a process, at least not that I'm aware of. It just says that any person who is found to have uh, shorthand version by me to have fomented insurrection against the U.S. government shall not hold federal office ever. Well, how who gets to decide whether they did that or not? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's an interesting question. And I can as far as I know, there is no case law. There's no jurisprudence on the 14th Amendment, Section three dealing with that kind of removal does. Donald Trump have some kind of vested right in running for political office and then argues by them precluding me from doing so, uh, they're uh, taking away a vested right I have as a United States citizen. I don't know. Well, we may find out. Well, this is uncharted water, right? So it, it largely is. Yes, because it, it seems to me that you know, we all should be treated equally, um, uh, you know, equally to the law. And we all have the right to run for office, uh, assuming there is no criminal reason that would prevent us. And right. if he isn't if he isn't impeached, then it seems, you know, whether you like Trump or not, it seems like he should have the right to run if he so chooses. Right. Um, because imagine if the Senate all got together and said, you know, you know, Pete Murray, you're not allowed to run for office ever again. You know, right. it would be a, a violation of your rights. Um, well, uh, that really it appears to be is certainly on an equitable basis. That seems yeah. unfair, but you have to be able to point to something. What right is vested? Point to me in the Constitution that vests me with a right to run for political office. Um well, you, you know, need all the qualification standards, right? Yeah. Um, I'll give you an example. If And maybe this is a 
trite way of looking at it. You can't run for judge in the state of California, and you cannot be appointed one unless you're an attorney for 10 years. Oh, they just make that rule up. I mean, why? You know, it's I guess the answer is it's their club and they get to make the rules. Um, (laughs) And so the Senate. It's their club and they get to make the rules. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, it begs the issue of, I mean, but is there an independent right to run for a political office that the Senate can't decide on that on its own? Uh, I would think so, but it's going to take some creative legal argument to really support that. Because on the face of it, it seems pretty clear, of course, they shouldn't be able to do that. But there's... Nothing that really stops them. Again, part of it is what they would say is or what someone might say in support of that is this doesn't run the risk of any, you know, loss of money in the sense of a civil penalty or lawsuit or a criminal loss of liberty, et cetera. This is simply we're deciding the rules for being part of this club called the U.S. Congress. Um, And if you violate certain rules, we're not going to let you be a member. Um, It's amorphous, it's vague, and it's ripe for consideration. I just, uh, to my knowledge, I don't even know if it's come up even in much smaller cases, certainly not the level of a presidential person. But um, it's, uh, you know, maybe that's what the Congress does. I, I mean, the Senate does, is they get them acquitted because he gets 58 60 votes for conviction, which are not enough. So he will stand acquitted and they turn around and vote to, you know, rule that he is precluded from ever holding office in the future. And he would have no, the only recourse he'd have is to sue in federal court and see where he goes. But doesn't it seem to almost violate the fundamental values of what America is all about, right? That this is about, you know, we, you know, by the people, for the people, the people can run for office. We have inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have the liberty to run. We have these rights to run our, to manage our life as we see fit. As long as we meet the qualification criteria outlined in the constitution, then we all should be eligible. Right. It's almost like, you know, now, that, like you said, it's like this club, this insiders group that decides that they're going to preclude people that to me violates, you know, the whole idea of that we all could grow up and be president of the United States. Right. We right. Hear that from, you know, our grandmother. Um, yeah. So I, it just, yeah. it just rubs me the wrong way. If uh, if he's if he's a, prevented from running from office, if he is not impeached. Correct. And and at the end of the day, I, I, I would not be surprised if they try that uh, to that there would be cases brought before the court. And at some point, the court may want to weigh in there because of exactly the reason you're talking about. The reason we don't have easy answers, it's not been contested and we don't have clear case law. We can't find it in the words of the Constitution. We can't find it in legislation. uh, And we don't have case law that can give us clear direction on that particular issue. And so maybe this is, you know, this is why the, the, the law is, in fact, alive uh, with new disputes comes new law because new issues get litigated. And this would be one, I think, that would fall into that. 
they would always try to rely on other case law to support their argument. But uh, nothing is going to be directly on point. Uh, I, I think inherent in what you're saying is what I think it was Chief Ju- or uh, Supreme Court Justice White wrote when supporting that there is a right of privacy, which mm-hmm. doesn't exist in the Constitution. You can't find that in there. But the court ruled there is a right of privacy because within the penumbra of the rights that are delineated in the Constitution, one of them is a right to live your life in privacy. And the Supreme Court has ruled that way. And that is uh, was the basis of, uh, you know, a a court case. I'm trying to recall if that came out of uh, the right for the, I don't know if it was the ogre. I, I, I'm not great at coming up with the cases, but there was uh, that decided you have a right to marry who you choose, uh, and it was uh, an African American um, woman and a white male wanted to get married, and the state of I don't know if it was Georgia, Alabama, forbid it. They eventually won. And it was along those lines that um, you have the right to marry a person of your choosing. And lo and behold, that became the basis for homosexual marriages, uh, you know, that the arguments for it. Um, So it's, um, you know, the court, when it hands down an opinion, we often find, you know, these little uh, pieces that we can tie on to in in later years on different issues. And one of them is this penumbra of rights that exist within the Constitution. If we have a Constitution that talks about the protection of your rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, even though it doesn't say that, of course, exactly in the Constitution, that's in the Declaration of Independence. But nonetheless, many of the constitutional, uh, the, the Bill of Rights talks about things that we would say essentially lays that out. So just because they don't say you have a right to run for public office, um, you may well be able to argue within all of those rights is inherent an argument that a person cannot be precluded from running for political office for some arbitrary reason Mm -hmm. uh, or for some whim of of a body like the Senate. But we do that now. You're not allowed to run for office if you get convicted as a felony. Is that fair? No, that's a bit of a tangent, but it seems to I've always believed that if you, you know, if you committed a felony and you get put in jail and you serve your time, when you get out, you should have all rights and privileges as as any other person, including the right to vote and right to run for office, the right to bear arms according to the laws in those states. But they make all those exceptions, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. And it's you know, we've saw, seen it in the last election, and and you'll hear more about that. Is to give, uh, you know, felons, ex felons, the right to vote. I mean, you you lose your right to vote in perpetuity. Um, and at some point, we think, well, if we believe in whether it's you know rehabilitation or punishment in either case uh, you you get convicted of a crime you do your time you serve probation parole and whatever mm-hmm. uh, presumably at the end you now get to return to your normal life and hopefully you've learned a lesson never to do that again and so to hold back rights that the rest of us have seem really counterintuitive to me i i agree with you john it's it, at some point we either said you've either served your time 
you've paid back your debt to society. Now you can fully engage. I guess I have less problem with them to say, while you're on probation, we're not going to allow you to vote. Or while you're in prison, uh, we can debate that. But at least I get that argument to some degree. But by the time you're out of prison, off parole and probation, whatever, holding back those rights makes no sense to me at all. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and I suspect we'll see that changing over the, the years, months, years to come um, that, uh, you know, these, you know, these are, you know, kind of part and parcel to being a citizen of these United States. And we shouldn't be declining, uh, uh, deciding that people can't have certain rights because of some antiquated old reasons that really don't make sense. So, uh, you know, again, I'm no love lost for Donald Trump. Uh, quite frankly, uh, I'll go on record as saying I hope to God he never runs again, especially for president. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how the Senate is going to get away with going, OK, well, you got to con- acquitted in the impeachment, but we're still going to vote to preclude you from ever holding office. Um mm-hmm. I think that would blow up in their face, too. I just think at some point the courts go, no, that's too far. You're not getting away with that. I mean, that's my thought, but it's an opinion only. Well, I share your opinion on that. Um, but let me ask you another opinion. Now, sure. do you think what Trump did on January 6th is reason to A, be impeached and B, be convicted? Do you think it meets that threshold for conviction? You know, it's. I guess that I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to not fall down the trap of rambling on. I'm going to give you an answer. Do I think what his actions did rise to the level of being impeached? Yes. Do I think he'll get convicted or would I vote to convict? Probably not. Now, that may Mm -hmm. seem juxtaposed each other that may be that may sound uh paradoxical but the reason is the way i look at it an impeachment is a probable cause do you believe just like i you know we issue charges against someone based on a probable cause standard more probably than not do you believe that he committed actions that would constitute this crime and i'm going to get to that in a second because he's not charged with a crime he's charged with an action that the Senate has defined. Uh, I would say there's probably enough evidence to support that. But at the trial, would I, and I would take a, again, this does not apply to the Senate impeachment trial, but I would take a beyond the reasonable doubt standard and say, do you think that there's evidence based on what I expect to be presented there? Do I think there's enough evidence to find beyond a reasonable doubt that he in fact uh, committed acts that incited people to riot. Uh, I, I think that'll fall short. And that's why I go in opposite directions on those two questions. Uh, part of it's my own biases. I have to look at it in a certain in a certain box. And I see the impeachment like an improbable cause determination, the trial as, you know, a jury trial um, beyond the reasonable doubt standard, if you will. Uh, Again, I I use those because that's what I'm most familiar with. Uh, Even if you use in a civil case, I mean, in a civil case, they'd only have to have a 50 percent plus one vote to to prevail. But um, um, so, uh, I mean, what that really begs is the question of, well, what did he do? 
and you know the the the, fir- the place to look that I would look is you know it, it better be a crime. Um, you know, and not just, and of course they would say it's a political process. So doing things that are politically untenable, even though not technically a crime might constitute grounds for impeachment. Boy, I think that's a, a dicey road to be down, but uh, you know, for example, in the Clinton administration or the Clinton impeachment, I mean, they charged him with obstruction of justice. That's a pretty clear crime. Now they don't have to prove it to the level you might in a criminal case, but at least we have that guideline here. Uh, there, the article, the single article of impeachment uh, is a little more embellished, but it, it sounds very much what is found in the United States code of incitement to riot. And I would look at the um, what we do in the law. We look at the elements of the crime. What does it take to be found guilty of this crime? Um, and in his case, it, it's a tough one because, in, you know, in order to be found guilty of an incitement to riot, I, I mean, you have to take definitive steps to either yourself or to encourage, facilitate, um, you can read the U.S. code that goes with it. It's easy to find. Just write incitement to riot. There's one charge under the U.S. code. And um, the um, but you would have to take steps to, uh, you know, either yourself or to facilitate, assist, whatever others to commit an act that was meant to uh essentially destroy or take down uh, the U.S. government. And I think it's a far cry. I mean, we can all watch the what the speech he gave and say, boy, that's that's just not pretty. And he he should be slapped for doing it. But does it rise to the level of this crime? I think that's a tall order. Uh, I don't think it gets there. So it's, you know, but they, that they've made it sound very similar to the crime as it's delineated in the U.S. code. But it's but it doesn't have to be. They 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 decide it themselves and then they will decide, well, did you do this action? And they go on to say that he knew or should have known that they were going to go in and then violently attack the House of Representatives and that, too, I think, is a, a bit of a stretch. I mean, I'm sure someone who hates Trump will roll their eyes at me and say, oh, come on. I'm like, eh. was he shocked by it deep down? Probably not. But could you say unequivocally that he knew by telling them to go down there and be tough or whatever he said and never, never turn away um, that that really was code for go break down the doors of the house. Um, I don't, I don't know. It seemed like some of his words in his speech were very calculated because he did say peacefully, you know, um, he made some comments about nonviolence, if I recall, Hmm. but you know, this is like you say, it's, it's political, not legal. Yes. Uh, But if you look at the entirety of the, the Trump presidency, including his um, campaign in 2015, 2016, where he told the people in the audience, go knock the hell out of them and I'll pay for your legal bills. Yeah. You know, and so there's already this kind of it's baked into the cake um, with Trump where violence is acceptable. And um, and that's why you saw 
a lot of this insurrection. So even though he didn't technically say, go in there and break the doors down, it was sort of implied. But is that enough in a court of law or an impeachment trial to convict? You know, maybe not. But we all kind of know, wink, wink, what was going on. At least I Right, right. And, and, you know, this is the problem, I think, with the type of proceeding we're looking at. If we know it's a political proceeding, I mean, that almost, you know, demeans it a little bit. You go, oh, OK, I get it. I mean, this isn't this isn't the same as walking into a criminal court. Um, but from my perspective, I don't like when we approach an issue of this significance with that kind of flippancy. I, I, I want to put these, this higher standard on. And again, I'm no, I have no love lost for Donald Trump, but to see him convicted of incitement to riot based on what I've seen seems a bit of a stretch. I'm pretty confident he would never get convicted in a criminal court of right. this charge. And if that's the case, then I, 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 I don't see the, the grounds for making a huge distinction there. Um, you know, what I think they want to do is, you know, there's, there's different levels we can look at what he did. Uh, the next is, can you, I mean, the constitution is clear. This is, you know, impeachment to remove a sitting president. Well, he's not. So, why are we even pursuing impeachment? And I've talked about that before, essentially because the Senate says we can. And so they're going, you know, so they did. Uh, now they impeached him before he was actually out of office. So the impeachment did not run afoul of that. That's constitutionally provided. The co- problem is the follow on to the actual impeaching article is the trial when he's no longer a sitting president. So you may see those arguments is that, look, he was impeached. The beginning of the process, he was the president, and we just are following through with the process. Uh, Or you'll see the flip side, which is, I'm sure this is in the papers. This is what I'm reading by these lawyers. In fact, he fired the last two uh, group of lawyers because they wouldn't buy into what he was wanting them to do is to keep arguing that this was a political witch hunt and they actually won the election and on and on. They just said, this is stupid. We're not going to. And he fired him. Mm-hmm. Now he's brought in new people, but it sounds like they're making the same, at least legitimate argument, whether it carries the day, which is it's unconstitutional. You may dislike what he did, but it's unconstitutional. The problem we go back to now what we've been talking about is the constitution doesn't really provide you relief in that regard. The Senate rules control and the courts when given the option are going to check out. And so we are, we're left in this weird place. Um, so now we'll wonder about, uh, you know, now we're impeaching a person who's a private citizen. Um, and, you know, we've already dealt with, it's no it's no city. It's not the Supreme Court justice sitting there because he doesn't have to. Uh, and then you look at other arguments, uh, you know, that from a Democratic side, you may want to bring. And and uh, what they say is if they even they get hung up in Article one and three, which talks about the impeachment in the Constitution. Uh, what I'm hearing is the, the one they're really looking at now is this uh, the 14th Amendment, which is equally part of the Constitution. But because it bespeaks very specifically of precluding persons 
uh, from holding public office who have been found to have incited riot against, uh, you know, the United States government. Um, again, it's all up in the air, but what process is provided for to get there? And we don't know. We don't know because it's not been done and it's not detailed in the Constitution itself. How long is this trial going to take, do you think? You know, I it's another aspect of it. Uh, the process. Uh, I mean, you don't. they don't even have to call witnesses. And in fact, I said it before, they have no subpoena power. Normally in a criminal case, even in a civil case, you issue a subpoena. It's court order to appear. You have no choice. You must come. Come to court, be sworn under oath, testify. Unless you have some, you know, a legitimate basis not to testify, like a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination thing. Yeah, I mean, people, you don't get to choose not to testify if you've witnessed something. Uh, in this case, the Senate has no impeachment power. I mean, no subpoena power. So they can't force people to come, which is why they can't get Trump to come. And so will they have any witnesses at all or will they simply introduce the video of and this is what I've heard in some circles is it almost really embellishes their case a bit. You know, let's show his speech, juxtapose it with video of all of these people bashing through and slamming cops with signs and breaking windows and all of that and go, there you go. There's our proof. Vote. Uh, It could be that it could be literally a matter of a few days. I think what you'll see is this. I'm sure within their papers, Trump's lawyers papers that will be submitted Monday will be countenance some motions to dismiss the entire impeachment proceeding due to unconstitutionality, blah, blah, blah. And we're going to spend some time trying to figure out how to deal with that. Uh, Because if the Senate just goes, yeah, nice try. Uh, No, no, we've got the majority. It says we're going forward. I suspect there will at least be an attempt to get to the courts, which will delay this as they try to figure out if the courts will. They can't stop them from filing a lawsuit in uh, in the in the court. You know, basically asking for declaratory judgment that what the Senate is doing is unconstitutional. They can file it. The court has to do something with it, meaning they have to rule on it one way or the other. And the only way they do that is by receiving information and papers and maybe even uh, documents and witnesses. So I think what will happen is you're going to have some delay before we actually start doing what they call as a trial. And. You know, the trial is kind of bizarre. It sits in the Senate chamber. I mean, arguably, uh, not arguably, the the president should, uh, former President Trump should be sitting there. (laughs) But my guess is he won't even come. Uh, And they'll be basically talking to themselves. Uh, Now, the persons who present the case, the so-called the, the, the corollary to the corollary to prosecutors prosecuting their case is a group from the House. They actually prosecute the case and they've already been designated. There's, I don't know, seven or eight of them that will present the case to the Senate. Um, I my guess is it's the actual presentation of evidence will be no more than a few days mm-hmm. once they get to it. And the vote will 
I mean, pretty much they, they've all made up their mind anyways, right? It's not like anything new is going to come forward, I don't think. I'm yeah, sorry one, imagine all 100 of them know how they're going to vote. Yeah, one would think. I mean, I, I would like to think uh, that uh, folks like, uh, I'll show my colors. I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a fan of some degree of Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has said, and I take him at face value, that he'll wait to listen to all the evidence. Hmm. Now, he's... He's the only Republican who voted to impeach him in the last uh, impeachment trial. And uh, I, I'll be shocked if he doesn't do so again. Uh, but um, but I could also see him saying, you know, getting up on the floor of the Senate and railing against Donald Trump, but saying that I just feel that uh, we're going beyond our authority as a Senate. And for that reason and that reason alone, I'll vote to acquit. Um that maybe wouldn't shock me so much either. Um, you know, at this point, they're all playing politics. How do we how do I look as a senator? How does the Senate itself look? How do we maintain respect for this House that we all hold dear? Um, I think there'll be a lot of that going on. And, and there'll be some who don't give a rat's patootie about it. And which is why I. Go back to what I said at the beginning. I have no idea what they think they're kind of going to accomplish here based on what I think will happen. It, it actually will be counterproductive. If yeah, you're a Democrat yeah. or a progressive uh, and you, the last thing in the world you want is to ever hear from Donald Trump again, then the last thing in the world you want to do is go forward with this impeachment. Especially knowing you're going to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just it just gives more power to the other side. Um, did you see the video that Ben Sass released last night? I did uh, not. It was remarkable. It's about a five minute video. And he was addressing the constituents of his in Nebraska because the central uh, committee for the Republican Party in Nebraska I think had censored him once and were planning on censoring him again. Yeah. Because he had been, you know, he didn't support Trump and but he's a Republican. Right. But he said, I'm gonna follow the Constitution, I'm gonna follow the law, I'm gonna do what I believe is right, even if it goes against the grain of my own party. Yes. I think this is a little bit like Mitt Romney. Um, but it's interesting how, again, yeah, these senators, you know, they're they're weighing in their own viability as a candidate. And if they vote the wrong way, even though they might think Trump should be convicted, they know they wouldn't survive their next election. It just, again, makes this such a political cluster, this whole process. It, well, it does. And, you know, with a guy like Ben Sass, I think Mitt Romney would be there as well. Jeff Flake from Arizona now, former Senator Flake. I, I mean, what I why I respect that kind of mentality is at least they're speaking the speak. And I assume they're going to walk the walk as well, which is they under they're remembering that oath they took. Mm-hmm. And there's no part of that oath that says I will do whatever I can to benefit my party. It is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, period. Right. I mean, it goes on more than that. And having taken that oath in one form or another, probably, you know, half a dozen or 10 times in my life, both as a military officer and as a prosecutor in both the state locally and on and on and on. I mean, I I take those words to heart. 
Um, and, you know, they're, they're pretty clear. I mean, it, it, this isn't really a difficult choice for the senators uh, to make in the sense of whether they should be focused mostly on performing their constitutional duty or looking out for their own political uh, future. That's no choice at all. They don't have that choice. They have an oath they swore to, to not do that. And, you know, maybe that's maybe I'm an old dinosaur and archaic when I still hold on to those thoughts that I sure would like to think we're, you know, some of them are still doing that instead of just simply wondering, can they get elected in the next election? Mm. Uh, and and that's to me the demise of politics as we know it. It's why we're in such a horrific place that we are is because people are not, you know, this notion of, you know, never the the two sides shall meet. We will not compromise. We'll draw the line in the sand is anathema to real politics. Politics are the art of the compromise. You find something that we can both at least agree on and we can move forward. Uh, That is doing, by my measure, their constitutional duty. Um, You know, they are, you know, if, if you... You know, it's I wish Joe Biden would do even more. He said it at his inauguration. I'd like him to be doing more, which is to go out there and talk to the Trump voters and say, I am your president and I hear you and we will do things to address some of your concerns. Uh, No, it wasn't a stolen election. (laughs) We'll get past that real quick. But to just, you know, to dismiss that and simply take on. And I won't, you know, hammer him too much, but he did say it. And, you know, I I think probably in a fit of frustration, uh, President Obama at one point was quoted as saying, why are we doing that? Because we won. And, you know, that's that's not where we want to go. Elections Uh, have consequences. uh, Elections have consequences. And, uh, you know, that may be true, but you got to get past that real quick and realize you're representing people. And as you know, somebody in Biden's case, you know, some 49 percent of the entire country, whether you like it or not, didn't vote for it. And you're representing them. You don't represent only 51 percent of the country. And and so, uh, again, at his inaugural, he spoke those words. He's he's tried to make that sound. I think he'll be find that difficult to do in in coming years because. Uh, some other sides are approaching it like we want. It's time to take the house, take it all. And all that causes is resentment and, uh, you know, creates, uh, uh, allows that group that, that fomented in at the Capitol, um, you know, the lunacy to start to rise up of, oh, my God, they, you know, they actually believe this stuff. Um, so it's. um you know, I think, John, it'll be an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, it could peter out. In, and I'll give you one that I, I'm actually almost hopeful for. It was Susan Collins of Maine. And I'm going to forget the Democrat. Oh, I think it was Keene from Virginia. So Democrat and Republican, they put together a proposal. And I don't know what's happened to it because this was a few days ago to simply enter a censure against President Trump and dismiss the impeachment and and then get on with business. 
Uh, and I personally would really like to see that happen and let us get on with dealing with all these real crises we have out there. But uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe it could do you need peter a out. majority for a censure or do you need two thirds? I'm pretty sure I can't speak to this definitively. I'm pretty sure that would be a simple majority. Yeah, that's yeah. that's doable. And I think that would be certainly appropriate. Um, yeah. At, at a minimum. So, I mean, on the other hand, and I again, I'm no Senate rules uh, expert, but I do know that many of the votes in the Senate require a two thirds majority, which is why they've always talked about the need to get you know, a certain number of senator of uh, Republicans on board for really any significant legislation things. And that's why they're going down this. The budget reconciliation bill is not one of them, and which is why they're slipping in this one point nine trillion dollar rescue package in there, because that they just want to get it done. And the 50 will 51 will be enough with the censure. You know, I don't know. You know, I maybe I. You know, in in giving a thought to it, I guess I probably wouldn't be surprised if that would require a two thirds as well. But my guess is getting two thirds of the Senate, namely the 17 odd senators, uh, Republican senators you would need in a censure vote, especially if they're like, look, and we make all this impeachment thing go away. I I think you got a better chance of that, a whole lot better chance. I think so. But still, it would be a stretch. Because Still. Trump, you know, is is uh, almost godlike, you know, to certain voters and he, he shouldn't be touched. So, yes. What and do you some... think the future? What do you think the future of the Republican Party is? Are they going to go through a transformation? Are they going to be able to reconcile these two groups within the party? What do you think? I. I really don't know. Um, I guess, you know, you asked what I think. I I just uh, I wrestle with this. I will tell you and anybody's listening. I once was a Republican. Uh, I am no longer uh, if I and I haven't been. um, But I uh, and I did that largely in disgust with the Republican Party of where it had gone. Um, And so I I guess with that kind of background, I'd like to see the Republic, you know, the, the party of Lincoln survive. Uh, I don't know that it can survive with these two factions, if you will, because I think that yeah. the faction that's closer in line to what I'm thinking, which are, you know, more, um, you know, free market, uh, socially liberal policies is becoming such a small group that, they're they're overtaken by the far right. And so maybe I really think the only solution is that maybe the time for a third party has come and it will take a long time for it to get any significant legs. But a party that Ben Sass and Jeff Flake uh, and maybe uh, even on the Democratic side from West Virginia, um, uh, Mnuchin or. Yes. Uh, you know, that might find a home in a place like that, that that actually gets beyond this extremes on either side. Um, quite. I, I think that's more probable. I, otherwise, I think the Republican Party is destined for ignominy, if yeah. not 
uh, yeah, they're um, what I read yesterday. They lost something like in California alone, which is no Republican stronghold. They've lost, you know, four or five thousand since January 6th. They've, you know, definitively left the party and something like one hundred and forty thousand in the country or more. Um, they're not going in the right way, that's for sure. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, look, our Constitution uh, during its origination was built around a, a, a not necessarily a two-party system, but at least a divergence of opinion, I mean, a multi-party system. And I would not want to see a single-party government where, you know, one can think the Democratic Party is great and does all kinds of things. I just don't think it's healthy for the country to have one that can simply call all the shots. And, um, you know, so I, I think we need a vibrant, strong party with differing views because it's the nature of our country. Right. And uh, I just don't think the Republican Party in its current view is I don't see it getting there in any reasonable time. I think it personally, I think it's I actually agree with Cindy McCain, John McCain's wife, who said she actually sees the rise of a third party is probably the real result. Um, and I, I, I agree that that's what I see. And that's what I hope. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's really the resolution is, you know, the you know, something that that really captures a, a mainstream middle of people who believe in fundamental rights uh, of the independent of the individual who believe in a in at least the workings of a free market with certain mm-hmm. constraints but also accept what is really the the, the notion of a so, socially liberal community that accepts people from all walks of life in all different ways and that's fine that's who we are right um i just i, I think it'll take a third party to get us there yeah I, I agree with you. I would love to see the rise of third parties. I've always been frustrated the way these two parties have monopolized or duopolized the system. Um, we need fresh ideas and a new way of thinking. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens as a result of once we get beyond this impeachment trial, what the future of the Republican Party is. And frankly, the future of the Democrats, because I think they're having a internal scrum as well as far as who they what they represent um, yeah yeah so you see awesome. that in in a couple of ways i just i read something today it was there is um uh, whose name will not come to me but she was the head of the california air resources board uh and she was initially floated as the uh next epa administrator um and, and is widely regarded as a superstar in the environmental world. Um, but uh, Biden got too much pushback that she did not represent certain constituencies. And he went away from her and uh, uh, is now appointed uh, another person who's, uh, from what I'm reading, very well regarded out of North Carolina. But he meets certain criteria that she didn't. And, you know, I suspect He's going to spend a lot of time trying to placate these disparate groups within his own party uh, who some will want him to go ever further along a path that I personally don't think is quite in line with 
you know, that mainstream middle of the country. And um, that could bode problems for them. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it seemed like to me like a, a certain amount of the executive orders from President Biden were almost um, kind of reaching out to certain constituent groups and kind of stroking them or a little bit of virtue signaling. And then, yeah, certainly moving the needle a little bit on policy. Yes. Um, but he's uh, yeah, because I think he has to placate those groups to kind of keep his coalition together. Um, it's remarkable. I heard I had that discussion with someone who uh, kind of pushed back on me because I had the same view is that I, I could see him as like, OK, look, let's get these. These are things that need to get done. Uh, these are things that are going to answer, you know, uh, a, uh, you know, some of the more progressive group that mm-hmm. I told I would get there and we're going to do it right now. And now. All right. Let's let now I'm going to work on some compromise issues. The pushback I got is or maybe it's a sign that he has no intention of ever uh, leading from the middle, Um, that this is really just indicative of what his uh, presidency will be like. And I don't know. I I hope not, because I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a recipe for peace and stability. Um, Mm hmm. I mean, I think that's you're just going too far to the other side. And, you know, just like Trump's mode was certainly no recipe for peace and stability. And the answer to me is not to swing the pendulum all the way the other way. Um, well, if, what, if if we're going to go for unity and that seems to be the word these days, um, then we really should be aiming more in the center than on the left edge or the right edge. Yes. Right? You know, so. um well, I mean, we're going down like kind of a crazy rabbit hole here. But what else are we leaving out in this in this uh, impeachment trial that we haven't covered yet? The uh, I just I jotted down some notes and nothing that I really. Um, uh, yeah, nothing that I, you know, think we should uh you know, need to touch on. I, I read an article today. The polls are such that no surprise, Americans are split on impeachment. Uh, right. There's a big surprise. But I, I mean, maybe the takeaway I, I would say is, uh, you know, a, a, a review or, or kind of a rehash of kind of the overriding themes here that I think it's important. Maybe the reason I reached out to you is I would hope the the, the citizenry, if you will, out there remembers that, you know, this is a political process, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and that's not meant as a demeaning commentary. It's the nature of it. It's right. it's like ruling why, uh, you know, a. Uh, two thirds majority is required versus one that's not. Uh, I mean, these are just rules made by a body, the Senate. Uh, and that's where this will fall. Uh, the courts, uh, I think, are loath to get involved in any way. And I think that was telegraphed by Justice Roberts. He took that opportunity to say thanks, but no thanks. I want no part of this. And that should be telling also that, you know, the courts aren't going to bail us out of this uh, until maybe eventually they get down the path of having to rule on, uh, you know, some of these issues that the defense team will raise Uh, and maybe but recognize if he ends up getting acquitted, which is 
you know, kind of if you have a corollary in the criminal court, it's all moot. Uh, if he gets acquitted, it's over. I mean, there's no yeah. there's no appeal to have. It's only if he got convicted, which you and I agree probably almost certainly won't happen. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, and to also, I, I, guess, yeah, I guess, a plug to those senators like a Mitt Romney who uh, might vote to acquit, but only because they don't want the Senate going down a path they think is creating bad precedent. In in other words, holding a trial of a private citizen while they condemn the actions of Trump. And, and you know, for many people, that won't be good, you know, won't be adequate. I, I've heard it once before, accountability. We need accountability. I, I get it. But sometimes it's better to just let it go. And, and uh, I can see a lot, I would guess a lot in the Senate uh, and the courts are all hoping this kind of goes away because they don't see any good resolution. I don't. And I don't think they do either. Um, I, I keep coming back to why don't we just leave Trumpy down there in Mar-a-Lago until they kick him out because they're trying to do that. Um, because a side note, I don't know if you uh, were aware of this. Uh, when he I, I know some folks in Florida down there were telling me he cut a deal with uh, when he built Mar-a-Lago, that it would never be a permanent residence for anyone. It would just be a resort hotel and club. And they got a special exemption to use it as his resident, his, you know, his summer residence or the Florida residence during the presidency. Well, now that his presidency's over, they're arguing he, he, ha- he cannot stay here long term. He cannot turn this into his residence. And I suspect you'll see some lawsuits on top of that because um, these are Palm Beach folks who have money to throw around and uh, some of them will be delighted to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. So uh, he's got his hands full with other stuff and get him out of the public eye, uh, I think, would be the best for the country, <laughs> quite right. frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I. And one of those that hope maybe, maybe, you know, cooler heads like Susan Collins and uh, Keene, you know, get a constituency together to go. Just let's vote for a censure and be done with it. Right. And I didn't really thought about the censure option, but that just seems like a, a nice exit ramp for this whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm afraid that some uh, I suspect Nancy Pelosi being one and Schumer as well, that uh, that's just not good enough for them. They want to make a statement. They want this trial. And uh, if they I mean, they, I don't think they're looking at anything that you and I aren't seeing is that the chances of conviction are, have got to be considered slim. And yeah. so Why? Why? I mean, why give yourself the headache? Go get busy getting Xavier Becerra, you know, uh, approved by the Senate confirmation proceeding, put him in place and and the others that are still waiting confirmation. The uh, and let's get on with the business of governing. But, um, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it'll be funky. You'll see some stuff, I suspect, in these coming days, this coming week uh, that uh, these motions uh, or arguments that are made by counsel and, and how they're handled and whether they get them to the courts for decision. You know, what the first thing will be, I, I'm sure someone there is a formal motion to the Senate to dismiss the indictment or the impeachment uh, in that it was brought unconstitutionally or something like that. 
Um, and um, it'll be almost interesting for people like me to follow the legal arguments on both sides because there's no clear precedent on this stuff. And so there'll be pulling bits and pieces from history, the historical record to say why this helps support our position. And we'll see where it will be making new law by any stretch. I'm sure of that. Well, yeah. And and the beauty of this also kind of an interesting silver lining is that we're as as regular folks, we're learning more about the Constitution, the way the framers set up our working functions of government. Right. And so we get to have these conversations and we get yeah. to learn. And that's good. Right. It's and that's why, you know, when people say I this is I don't understand how they're impeaching him. It's unconstitutional. And, you know, it really I would want people to go go read the Constitution, read the, you know, Article one, Article three and then the 14th Amendment and then tell me. Where exactly does it tell you it's unconstitutional? It's not that clear. And um, it's not as simple as, you know, on one side that the Democrats are just running wild with an unconstitutional proceeding. That's that's just not supported by the law at all. Uh, And conversely, for, you know, the Republicans um, to be arguing that, uh, you know, this is just some witch hunt or something, they this is all within Senate rules to a degree. I mean, now even there, they're breaking, as I suggested earlier, they're breaking some of the bounds of what's written in the, and maybe not breaking them. They're just going beyond the rules that are currently in existence. Um, And what I think is probably the most interesting aspect is when all push comes to shove, those are rules they can change simply because they decide to change. <laughs> They're their rules. Right. right. It's 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 my party. It's my yeah. uh, like I'm going to take my ball and go home, you know. So yeah. this is uh, Pete, thank you for joining me. And, and you know, for everyone that's got a chance to listen or view this podcast, I mean, I really like having you as a guest and and being able to educate us and share your thoughts and opinions it gives me a lot greater insight personally as we go into next week. Uh, you kind of set the stage for all of us. So this is this is great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, John. I, I, I hope I haven't implied that I know all the answers to this because I, I hope the, 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 the takeaway is we don't know the answers. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, as I wrote to my friend, the, the, the CIA scientist, I said, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, your opinion as to what might happen or what should happen is as good as anyone else's because the law doesn't have an easy answer for us here. And maybe that's kind of a cool thing. I mean, because us citizens, our opinion counts, too. And, uh, you know, how we view this, like you said, does it sound like it's unfair or does it sound like in your mind, do you think? that people like Trump and whatever he did uh, needs to be held accountable. I mean, there's no easy slap down to either one of those. Uh, Those are both opinions that are easily supported and we need to decide where we come down on it. And, you know, with ever the eye toward where we go from here, which is always what I'm thinking. we, We, you know, that's my concern, first and foremost, with this impeachment is it keeps us 
bogged down in this divisive nastiness. And right. the sooner, just like this COVID crap, the sooner we can begin to move beyond it, the better we're off we'll all be. And um, so I'd like this, uh, maybe this impeachment thing will go away sooner rather than later. And we can focus on making COVID go away too. Right. Yeah. The, the Senate, they have a lot of work to do. There's they a got lot a lot of work. List. Yeah. So. But this is great. Thanks for what you do. This, I mean, I hope that some folks, you know, it just keeps us engaged. We need to be engaged. It's yeah, we do. It's our place. This is our, you know, I tell these kids in high school, you know, this is your country. It's a, I don't own it just because I'm an old guy. I mean, it's it's all of ours. And if we choose not to engage, then we live with consequences. That's you know, right. That that I will say, elections have consequences. If you don't want to vote or you don't follow what the issues are, uh, then you're going to live with the consequences, uh, and you really have very little reason to bitch uh, at that point. Um, <laughs> engage, debate. Right. You know, uh, reasonably, we don't have to get at each other's throat if we disagree. Um, so, I, what you're doing, I think facilitates that and that's quite a service that you're providing for our little community i mean i know we're here in poway i'm now you're live and going wherever so who knows who's weighing in well we do what we can and we have fun doing it so pete murray thank you so much for joining me and looking forward to once we get beyond covid having you back over here and we can have a face-to-face rather than me looking at my monitor here so gotcha better I'm sure we'll always have things to talk about. So thank you, John. It's great to see you, even if it is through the computer screen. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again, Pete. All right. Talk to you soon.